Tomorrow's Wall Street Titan might be an AI bot. 40% of all open job roles in finance today are for AI-related hires, and almost half of firms cite AI as a way to improve customer experiences. Find out more about the impact of AI on finance later in the podcast. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Hi. Hello. How are Great you? Great to see you. Good to see you. I hear this is a special coffee shop. Yeah, this is just where so much stuff happened, especially for YC over really 10 years. I'm Emily Chang, and this is The Circuit. Gary Tan is head of one of Silicon Valley's most influential startup accelerators. It's called Y Combinator, and it's kind of like Mecca for aspiring entrepreneurs. Tan first got accepted to YC as a founder himself in 2008, when he founded Posturus, a blogging platform that was later acquired by Twitter. He went on to become a partner at YC, start his own venture capital firm, Initialized, and even has a popular YouTube channel where he shares his insights on do's and don'ts for startups. When it comes to all of the videos you've made, what have you found really resonates? Like, what takes off? The number one thing for me is just actually talking about the things I messed up. 15 years after joining YC as a founder, he's now back steering the ship. But first, coffee. Here's my conversation with Y Combinator president and CEO, Gary Tan. Ever done a deal here or anything like that? Uh, you know, like YC is interesting because the deal is pretty straightforward. You right. know, just, we just meet them for 10 minutes and then decide that's yes it? or no. Yeah, that's right. So that's- 10 minutes and then yes or no? Yeah, that's right. Wow, how do you know in 10 minutes? Well, I think you can look at you know, what the founders are capable of, their skills. I think we're up to 40,000 applications. Ever? Every year. Every year? Yeah. And you pick like a few hundred. That's right. It's a very, it's the <laughs> lowest acceptance rate. Of, right. You know, more, more selective than you know, pretty much any selective school in the world. I feel like a lot of this stuff all started here. Mm-hmm. You know, back in really 2005, this idea that you could give very small amounts of money to just a few teams and have those teams go on to become sort of the, the Reddits and the Airbnbs of the world. All right. Awesome. Thank Here you. Here we go. We've got a chai and a latte. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. It's warm. Yeah. Let's go. This is where people meet their first investors. This is where they meet their co-founder for the first time. Sometimes this is a really important that. part of Silicon Valley. And you actually were in YC yourself. Oh, yeah. I lived five blocks down that way, and YC is about five blocks down this way. And when were you accepted to YC? 2008. 2008. So just at the start of the financial crisis. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we raised our angel round for Posturus the day Lehman died, and nobody else in our batch managed to raise any money. And you're a Bay Area guy, right? That's right. You, you were born and raised here. Yeah, I grew up right here in uh, Fremont, right across the Bay. And uh, tech gave me everything I have, honestly. You know, child of Chinese immigrants, you know, we were sometimes food insecure, but I just remember tech was here. And we grew up in the shadow of all this greatness, all this technology being built from nothing. 
I knew that I wanted to learn to code, mm -hmm. and you know, I cold called the internet section until I got a job. And we were living in one or two bedroom apartments, right. and for my parents to, you know, sometimes struggle with English, the cultural barrier. You know, my dad was foreman in a machine shop. My mom was a nurse assistant at a convalescent home. For dinner, we would sort of have the expired bread that someone would drop off to sort of help out my mom, who was, you know, working sometimes two shifts just to keep the family going. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's one of the really important things to me that I realized, like, tech is this thing that can bring people out of whatever situation they're in and often into prosperity, and that's what I want for everyone. You were sort of like an engineer designer by background. How does that inform your perspective? This is why YC really attracted me in 2008, was that here was the one place that wasn't about the flash. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about, you know, whether you had an MBA or, you know, you went to some school or whatever. It was just purely, hey, can you build something great? You have this picture. It's 2008, I believe. You're sitting oh, yeah. on the ground and you can see Paul Graham in the background and Mark Zuckerberg. What's going on in that moment? At that point, I knew I wanted to start a company. And YC threw this event that was a free event called Startup School. Mm -hmm. And it was all sort of like the luminaries. You know, I believe that year Jeff Bezos came mm. and he actually launched AWS at that Startup School in 2008 um, at the auditorium wow. at Stanford. I was sitting on the ground. Photography was one of my loves. And uh, I was actually thinking about, you know, either starting a company or becoming a hip hop editorial photographer. <laughs> Very different proposition. Yeah. You went on to become a partner at YC yourself. How did you make the transition from entrepreneur to investor? You know, we were doing dead simple blogs by email, posturous. And then didn't you sell that to Twitter? Much later, actually. I mean, Instagram came out and that flatlined our growth. Mm. And this is one of the interesting things about being an investor. You know, I think we were very much in the running to be sort of one of the major social networks. Mm. But that was because there were no really great iPhone apps yet for uploading photos until Instagram. And now I realize it's actually the role of the investor. We need to be helping them understand the historical context, like what, you know, what is actually happening in the market and what are, what are the brass rings that are going to be enduring meaningful businesses that could be worth billions of dollars. So obviously you worked at YC for a bit. You went on to start your own fund. Yep. Initialized. Absolutely. You made some pretty smart bets oh, early thanks. on. You invested in Coinbase, for example. What did you learn from that experience that gave you sort of the bona fides to be an investor. This is actually a business that requires you to see enough. And YC was just such a concentrated form of all of tech happening, and it remains that, that I think you just end up learning way more about what's doable, what's possible. So coming back to YC as CEO, is that like a dream job? Yeah. The ability to help people basically achieve their dreams, you know, that's what YC did for me. I'm you know, a steward here. I'm trying to figure out what can we do to help more innovation happen in the world. So YC is how far away? Uh, about five blocks down the street. All right, I want to see it. Yeah, let's go check it out. Airbnb, Stripe, Dropbox, Instacart, Twitch, Coinbase. Am I forgetting anyone? I mean, so many. The thing is there are you know, 90 companies worth a billion dollars or more. So many companies have come through these doors. Talk to me a little bit about the process. For those who don't understand, what exactly does a startup accelerator do? Well, YC works kind of as a 10, 12-week program. Mm -hmm. Anyone can apply online. 
all they have to do is you know, ideally have an idea and have uh, a demo sometimes. You know, we get about 18,000 such applications every six months. And what we do is we try to figure out who are the smartest, best people who are capable and you know, what are the things that they're trying to do and are those things viable? And then we actually try to interview about 1,000 of them every six months and we whittle it down to about 250 to give half a million dollars to, which is great because when I first started, I think YC only gave me $12,000. <laughs> it's that gone was, up a bit. It's gone up a bit, you know, times are different, but I think the most important reason why it's more money is because we want anyone who is really talented and skilled, regardless of whether or not they have you know, credit card debt the way I did when I started my company, or you might have pretty big savings, you know, that's privilege. I think that regardless of any of that, people who have skills should be able to start great businesses. And YC is the place to give you not just money, but also know-how and a community. You mentioned YC, you give, it's like a community like no other. I mean, you know, the people who get in here are getting a ticket to a massive network. I mean, if you talk about all the companies we just mentioned, right? Absolutely. You know, if, you, if I come into YC, can I just call Brian Chesky or call Gary Tan and get your advice? Yeah, I mean, that's sort of what it's meant to be, right? I mean, one of the things that uh, is always important to me is that YC be the most inclusive place for the people who are the best, simply because if you go to, you know, a tech conference or, you know, you try to network your way into startups, it's actually really impossible for the people on the other end to even figure out, oh, is this someone who's good, who I could spend time with. And mm -hmm. when you look at the failure rate of startups, period, more often than not, when you approach someone in one of those other contexts, the answer is, no, I can't spend time here because I can't vet you. I can't figure out if this is someone who, you know, something good will happen with. That, I think, is some of the reason why YC exists, mm -hmm. is that, no, no, this is actually a community of really great people. What does the newest class of founders look like? What problems are they trying to solve? Yeah, I, I think that one of the biggest things is always what are the new capabilities and what we're seeing with whether it's OpenAI or Anthropic or you know, any number of large language models, there's this sort of moment where computers can think, like they can actually look at blocks of text and give you something that you know, a human being normally would be necessary to sort of give you. That's a really exciting time for just software period. You know, before you had to have long training processes for very specialized tasks, and now we're seeing it sort of approach all of knowledge work. And we're just scratching the surface on what that could be. And then a good deal of them are focused on AI, uh, bringing in large language models. Demo day is sort of like a rite of passage. Oh, definitely. Right? What happens on demo day? Obviously, these companies come in, they have half a million dollars. They don't necessarily have to raise, mm -hmm. because if you're an engineer, designer, product person, you can just do it yourself. And then it's a thousand investors, VCs, angel investors, people who have been there, and they often raise millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And so that's a really powerful moment, because you know, that's, when, that's a moment of euphoria. And then, hey guys, it's back to work. What do you say to the folks who are out there thinking, how do I get in? The big thing is, I think we really like people who are earnest. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't have to pretend to be something other than you're not. Mm. Uh, what we really care about is, are you solving a real problem? 
Uh, can you show us the quality of your work? Is there a, a feat of strength in terms of like technically or design-wise or even go to market? Like, can you access a market that nobody else can actually access? Like, those are sort of the sum total things that end up mattering for a startup. You know, the startups that make it all have sort of a bunch of these things figured out in a row, and you don't have to have all of those things, but just show your work, show us what you can do and why you're actually working on that problem. The great thing about YC is that you don't have to know anyone. You just have to have a web browser and you go to ycombinator.com slash apply and you answer about you know a dozen questions or so, record a 30 second video. Mm -hmm. But in those questions we care about you know what can you do, what have you done in the past, show us the demo, tell us about the market, you know, are you solving a problem that people really want? And those are really the questions that we care about. But you're picking just a few hundred people out of thousands, 40,000? Yeah. 40, it has to be 80, more than that. Like, how yeah. do I make my application stand out? One of the most common questions we ask around at YC is, what's the most interesting thing about X? And it might be, or what is the most surprising thing? So I remember reading Brian Armstrong's application when CEO he was working of Coinbase. on Coinbase. And so he had read the Satoshi Nakamoto white paper and he painted in you know, us meeting him this idea that, well, Bitcoin is this fringe thing, but what if it wasn't? Mm. And that's sort of the core of early stage investing periods, mm -hmm. that you know, if you can suspend disbelief and listen to someone truly and listen to what they're seeing in the market and understand, hey, what if they're right? There are a billion reasons why this might not work, but if it does happen, why? And could we believe that that could happen? Mm -hmm. And is this the person to do it? And what is the actual process like? Like, how do you decide? Well, you know, honestly, the craziest thing is we'll actually meet people for 10 minutes. And in those 10 minutes, we will try to figure out, uh, do we believe in this market, this person, and you know, what they've built and what they can build. So in 10 minutes, you decide with whether to give someone a golden ticket. That's right. I mean, how, is that even possible? Well, you know... <laughs> Are the, you making all the right decisions? Well, we hope so. And the thing is, you know, the numbers sort of speak for themselves. That's why Demo Day exists. Uh -huh. You know, those thousand investors come back year after year after year because you could go to 300 rooms, fly all around the world and not be in that room where you know, you'll never find a congregation of hundreds of startups in which you know, a dozen of them will probably go on to be worth a billion dollars or more. And so that's why when you go up and down Sand Hill Road or in the portfolios of investors anywhere in the world, often you will find a fund returner in a YC company. So what do you say to the folks who want, you know, how do I stand out in 10 minutes? What's the secret? I mean, the hard part is, it's not really about what happens in that 10 minutes. It's about the 10,000 hours that goes in beforehand, right? Mm -hmm. Like, can people become the best at their field in software engineering or management or you know, design or product or sales? The best CEOs in the world are sort of jack of all trades, but master of one or two. And that isn't something that is in that 10 minutes or in those 12 questions. That's something in someone's life. Like, how do they live their life? How do they prioritize? You know, one of the coolest stories uh, is actually from one of our group partners at YC. Her name's Serbi Sarna. Mm -hmm. And 
she actually had a pain in her side. It turned out she had uh, you know, a women's health issue. Mm -hmm. And when she was 16 or 17, she decided, I'm going to orient my life around solving a problem in that space. Mm -hmm. And that's really what we want. I mean, I think that that writ large is happening, will continue to happen. And that's sort of the big blessing of that we get to work in mm -hmm. tech, that we get to teach people, hey, uh, you weren't meant to have a boss. Mm -hmm. If you're uh, a practitioner, if you're an engineer, if you're a designer, if you're technical, and you're able to understand the world at that level, mm -hmm. you, know, you don't have to know about business. We'll teach you business. The community will teach you that. Just build the thing that nobody else has, mm -hmm. that everyone wants, and come do YC and this will be the community for you, for us to help you. We'll continue this conversation after this quick break. Connecting human-led responsible AI with rich data sets is driving innovation in new and unexpected ways. But financial services companies need a secure and resilient network to support AI architecture. With the Next Level Network from AT&T Business, AI data travels at low latency through reliable, fast connectivity. So financial leaders can focus on what matters most, a better future for their businesses and their customers. Learn about connected solutions from AT&T Business at att.com slash y hyphen att hyphen business. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The vast majority of companies in the batch are still from the Bay Area, right? That's like, less isn't less it like 86% or so? So 86% of people have moved to San Francisco okay but they honestly sort of come from uh, all around the country and all around the world. So that's my next question. Like, you know, are you really looking for people from around the world or do people who are here have an advantage? Well, San Francisco is interesting because uh, it turns out that a lot of people have already moved here, already work in tech or already work um, you know, in the Bay Area. But that being said, you know, there's as much interesting stuff happening on YouTube you know, in all of the other major centers. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why YC is sort of this very concentrated form of Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. Lots of people come here just for the batch. Mm -hmm. They raise money, they build their community, and then they go back and become the best company in Mumbai, the, the best company in London, the, the best company in Eastern Europe, you know, sort of all around the world. Mm -hmm. There are just so many examples of that culture sort of bringing together. So, you know, I think that this is a story that is San Francisco Bay Area based, but also one that radiates out mm -hmm. into the entire world. We don't have enough women. We haven't had enough women for a couple of decades now. When you look at the numbers, what are you seeing in the numbers now? Because 
it's hard to it's hard to know what the data actually is, but when you look at the founders who present on Depot Day, it's still pretty dismal in terms of the representation of women and people of color. Absolutely. I mean, and I think representation matters a lot at the end of the day. You know, the types of problems that people solve kind of come out of their own stories. It is important to us. It's important to me. You know, at YC, we have more than 850 women founders who have gone through the program. And you're right, that's not enough. And we're always looking for ways to do more. So what more can you do? And I know you thought about this a lot at Initialized. What have you learned? What, what are you doing to, to make, to change the, the ratio, right? Because I think a lot of people look at YC and see all of these, you know, iconic founders who are all men and think they can't do that, Yeah. right? We want the process to be something that is as open and inclusive as possible. And less and less about uh, what neighborhood did you grow in, grow up in, what uh, school you went to. I think it's incredibly important, you know, what is the quality of your work and what is the quality of the thinking? Mm -hmm. And that's very important. You know, I think that going to half a million dollars uh, per company opens it up uh, financially to so many more people from all kinds of backgrounds. And so, you know, there's a lot to be done and you know we're not done. Do you think YC at all helped perpetuate the, you know, sort of white male nerd stereotype of what a founder or an engineer is supposed to look like? Gosh, I hope not. I mean, <laughs> I certainly don't look like that, but I think that we're seeing so much more happening mm -hmm. uh, at the earlier earlier and earlier stages. That's why we spend so much time for instance on YouTube mm -hmm. because you know, I want that message to be out there like you don't have to be from a particular place. You don't have to look a certain way. You know, this should be something that is open and available for everyone. Mm -hmm. Everyone gets half a million dollars now. It's part of the standard deal. I know when you came out with that, there was some sort of some reaction. Some folks thought YC is taking too much. Um, why do you think that's a fair deal for founders? YC is always going to be really focused on people who are doing it for the first time. And you know, speaking as a former venture capitalist, I know there is so much money out there for people who have been there, done that, have the right resume, went to work at, you know, went to the right schools, et cetera, right? Like that's a whole way to do it. Mm -hmm. But YC, there's only one YC. There are many VCs, but there's only one YC that has this approach that is ultimately about, can you go and make something people want? And can we make the whole process as much about that as possible. YC branched out into a lot of things, like a lot of funds did, to be honest, uh, over the course of the last 10 years. You're now ending the later stage investing. Does that make it harder for a lot of the YC companies to then do follow-on rounds? Does that sort of clip their wings before they can even fly? Well, I don't think so, just because, you know, even looking at Demo Day, you know, we have a thousand people showing up there all the time simply because this is the most the most concentrated form of highly talented people mm -hmm. in one room possible. And I think that that's true, you know, at the A, at the B, at the C. Um, and then ultimately it comes back to are the founders, you know, creating something people want or not. Mm -hmm. And so I think that focusing on the early means that we can also focus on the people who are most underappreciated, underaddressed, and that's the first timers, the outsiders, the people who you know, just don't have a giant community of VC out there, you know, and I think that's going to be, that's going to continue to be true. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about that strategy shift. And I don't know if this was like one of the first big decisions you had to make as CEO to go back to your roots and focus on early stage rather 
than the late stage. How did you make that decision? Well, the late stage team did incredible work for us. They have incredible, substantial contributions. At the same time, you know, when we're trying to work on our own business, the best thing we can do is take our own advice. And especially in times of sort of recentering, uh, you know, a reset in what's happening out there in VC, it's quite natural for us to try to take our own advice around mm -hmm. what are the things that make you truly unique and really focus on those things. So you, that was a painful decision to make, uh, but it was ultimately the right one for mm -hmm. YC. Tech is going through a tumultuous time right now. We're seeing tens of thousands of people getting laid off from tech companies. How does this play out? Well, my hope is that a lot of them realize that they have a role to play in creating technology that probably couldn't have been created where they were. I think a lot of large companies started treating their employee base almost as a place to park resources and almost as a competitive moat versus the other mm. giants. Uh, when I think the, about the amount of talent that was sort of locked up in cushy jobs that you know, could have been actually out there in the market making new technology, pushing things forward, I'm hoping a lot of them actually come over to startups and they realize, oh, this is what it's like to run fast again. Mm -hmm. And this is how uh, having a lot more agency and what the product is and you know, talking to customers very directly, that's fun, that's interesting, and not only that, you can create a business that really matters, that stands the test of time. What's your advice for these workers who are getting laid off? It does sound a little trite to just say, it's time to build. Right, it sure does. <laughs> I mean, I think some of it is like, it takes stock, right? Like, you know, a lot of people have families, I feel for that. But take a moment and realize, hey, you know, there was a reason why they worked at those incredible places. Just as YC is this place that people aspire to, you know, working for a Google or a Meta, those things were really big honors. Mm -hmm. And they're sort of sitting alongside some of the smartest people in the world. Mm -hmm. And how cool would that be to band together with some of them and then remember, oh, this is what it's like to talk to a customer. Mm -hmm. And you know, let's make the simplest possible thing that might solve that person's need and then rinse and repeat. Like getting much more connected to the problems out there, I think will lead to just a lot more direct access to, I mean, building equity, building businesses that really matter. Well, speaking of equity, for years, tech workers have been paid in stock. And that was sort of, you know, the ticket. You're taking a risk on this company. Uh, it could be worth zero or it could, you know, be worth millions, Absolutely. right? We're seeing kind of the dark side of RSUs or getting paid in stock now. Do you think that's still the way it should work in Silicon Valley? I do think that giving a lot of equity, whether it's stock options or common stock to employees is great. I mean, that's some of the magic of startups. And so to me, some of the beauty of a startup is that if you start as a founder, you own you know 100% of it on day one before you even sell a single you know, share of stock to anyone. Mm -hmm. And that's really powerful. Like that's really what spoke to me back in the day that, hey, when I work really, really hard and I create a product or a service of value, mm -hmm. you know, it's the equity holders that get to share in that. Mm -hmm. You know, I think this is about labor being able to access your know, actual capital. And this is like one of the most direct and most awesome versions of it. Mm -hmm. 
So but there's a dark side here, right? I mean, especially a lot of these employers are getting paid in restricted stock options that they have to actually pay a lot of money Absolutely. to access. And now that a lot of workers are getting laid off, a lot of those options are worth nothing. Absolutely. So what do you think is wrong with that part or that piece of the puzzle? Well, some of the trickiest parts is that um, being able to value these companies is really, really hard. And some of the bad behavior we saw from startup founders was trying to reach for that billion dollar valuation because they wanted the headline uh, out there saying that they're a unicorn now, but that comes at a cost, right? And that's something that I think all investors across the board need to share responsibility for where we need to really help people understand. The focus on valuation and getting that next notch of valuation above all else, that comes at both a great personal cost to the founders themselves, but also to the employees. So and what do you think needs to change? I think some of it is already happening, right? You know, mm. the revaluation of startups right now is starting and it will continue. Mm. And then I think this time around, uh, people are going to be a lot more mindful about, you know, do I really need to do that 50 to $200 million raise? Or can I get there with less? And, you know, can I take care of myself and my shareholders in a better way than stretching to sort of get the next blockbuster round, round after round. So for those who are already out there building and have been building through this time when valuations have gone wild, what happens to them? Where do all the private unicorns go? Yeah, well, uh, it really comes back to the idea that startups equal growth. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these companies actually have something like 48 or 60 months or even more mm -hmm. uh, runway. And so even though they might have gotten you know, money for very cheap. If they're continuing to grow, they can actually still grow into those valuations. Not everyone's going to do it, uh, but a great many will. And you know, that's the beauty of our business, that, that you could even have a business that is growing at the rate of 2x or 3x or 4x on its way to an IPO. So you're a few months into this job as CEO of Y Combinator, and Silicon Valley Bank collapses. What is your level of panic? in that moment? Well, I remember, you know, I'm dropping my seven-year-old off uh, Friday morning at 9 a.m. And then immediately I start getting texts and phone calls from founders saying, uh, that was my only bank account, what do I do? Mm. And so the second I get back to my desk, I realize, oh, there's actually a story that needs to be told right now. Mm. Because it wasn't clear to me that people were going to give a bank called Silicon Valley Bank the benefit of any doubt at all simply because of its name. You know, when you think Silicon Valley, the number one thing that I realize is people sort of think of uh, the big tech companies and, you know, aren't these big tech companies having increasingly a negative you know, impact on my life? I realize that I'm viewing it from a very different place, but, you know, we have something like 9,000 founders in our community and I had dozens of texts from them saying, hey, this is a real problem. And what I realized is this is not big tech in an hour of need. This is a moment of little tech, literally you know, one to 20 person companies that done right in another 10 or 20 years could become you know, the next Instacart or the, the next uh, Airbnb. Little they, tech. Little tech. Little tech might need to be a thing. That's right. Anyone is gonna change how the world sees Silicon Valley. Yeah, and, and I knew that immediately at that moment, that was a story that needed to be told mm. uh, because it's too easy to just read the headline and say, oh, Silicon Valley, big tech, don't care about that. 
they'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And we actually figured out from our community that about a third of the people who were using SVB uh, were not going to be able to make payroll. Mm -hmm. So we were able to sort of put two and two together and realize this actually adds up to hundreds of thousands of jobs. Mm -hmm. So that suddenly made it much more real for policy makers in DC. And we're really thankful to them because there was a narrative going against and they responded as the stories came up. And you know, to me, I think that the resolute action of the Fed, the FDIC, Congress people, you know, the White House, all in concert, uh, it really averted something that could have been a lot worse. You were out there very loudly saying this could be a mass extinction event for startups. Were you having conversations with anyone in Washington or any regulators or people who were in the room deciding we're going to throw this bank a lifeline or not? What I can say <laughs> is that the YC network is really, really strong and it does extend into every field out there. I think that once people heard the number of jobs that were at stake and the number of types of startups, this is biotech, this is pharma, this is chip design, this is climate tech. You know, if you randomly chose to delete a third of startups, period, mm -hmm. you would hit American innovation in a very fundamental way. Mm -hmm. I think once the numbers and uh, really the stories from the founders themselves mm -hmm. were told to the people uh, in the halls of power. Mm -hmm. I was very impressed by the reaction that they suddenly realized, oh, this isn't a small regional concern in a part of the country that is you know, politically unpopular. Right. This is something that could really hurt the United States. And that's what I care about deeply, right? Like, I feel that we need to make sure that we take care of the founders, because you know, especially little tech, they're the ones who ultimately Mm -hmm. take the risk, and then ultimately bring these technologies to bear that touch all of society. This whole SVB thing is made clear. A lot of people look at Silicon Valley and see elites. Are they wrong? You know, I think that there's different types. And you know, the tricky thing is we have to acknowledge mm -hmm. that technology has had an impact on society and will continue. And For good and bad. For good and oh. bad. And anytime you have power that is accumulated in the hands of the few, that's something we should be worried about. But I will say that in this dichotomy of big tech versus little tech, we want to really help little tech. Mm -hmm. Little tech is competition, and competition is the way that we have actually vibrant markets mm -hmm. that give consumers new choice, and that is actually a very important thing to mm -hmm. protect. Venture capital is blamed for a lot of things and has been blamed for the SBV collapse. You know, is VC to blame? You know, I think it was a tricky moment for everyone because I think if you're, in, if you're actually trying to give good advice to founders, you try to tell them what might actually happen and let them make the right choice for themselves. Mm -hmm. And so that's the tricky thing. I think that people want to say that VCs caused a bank run. At the same time, I think that there were lapses in communication on the part of SVB. Uh, of, on the part of the outgoing CEO. Mm -hmm. And so the truth sort of lies someplace in there, you know. I think founders do want investors to sort of tell them what was right and what was actually going to happen because I think in that moment it might be worse if you, you know, if you were affected, mm -hmm. like how would you feel? So, and that's I think the, the difficult line that good investors have to walk. It's like don't change your advice based on your own interest when your interests might diverge, 
just call it out and just you know, say, it's almost like a golden rule for startups. Like, what is the thing that would help the founder regardless of anything else? How long do you think the downturn lasts? Like, how hard does this get? I guess it's so hard to tell, and you know, I'm not a macroeconomist. You know, some people like to play that on Twitter, though. <laughs> so I think that, at least speaking for myself, uh, I underestimated to what degree uh, interest rates rule everything around us. If people have to play macroeconomist, and I think a lot more of us have to now because it just affects all of us. You know, it affects valuations. It affected the SVB crisis. You know, if you work in crypto, you better pay attention. I mean, all of these things matter because the price of money is sort of shifting radically. So I don't have a crystal ball, at least in the short term, it seems like the Fed slowing down its interest rate moves may well be a good positive sign for valuations. And I'm always rooting for the founder, so that's a good thing. On the other hand, you know, inflation, it's anyone's guess if that's actually beaten or not. Mm -hmm. And so I think you, know, you sort of have uh, you know, unstoppable force out there versus immovable object, and I sort of can't tell which, which side is gonna win. Yeah. The circuit continues after this quick break. Connecting human-led responsible AI with rich data sets is driving innovation in new and unexpected ways. But financial services companies need a secure and resilient network to support AI architecture. With the next level network from AT&T Business, AI data travels at low latency through reliable, fast connectivity. So financial leaders can focus on what matters most, a better future for their businesses and their customers. Learn about connected solutions from AT&T Business at att.com slash y hyphen att hyphen business. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Paul Graham famously said that a startup is either default dead or alive. How many startups are out there that are default dead and don't even know it yet? Well, the tricky thing is uh, pretty much every startup when it's born is default dead. <laughs> and it is actually the role of the founder to create something people want and then figure out a way to get in front of people. Only then does something go from default dead to default alive. So. I think you know, it's quite normal uh, for it to be default dead. That is just one thing that will never go away from startups when we talk about risk in startups. If every single one succeeded, it would mean that people are not taking enough risk. Do you think it's going to be harder for startups to raise money for the next 10 years, right? Like, it's been a fruitful time. Is this just the yeah. new normal? Well, I think you know, monetary policy is just one piece of it. Mm -hmm. uh, the part that is also very hard to tell, but I'm very optimistic on, is that um, 
technology has always built on itself. So cloud computing allowed uh, Airbnb, but also it was built on social. And then suddenly you had mobile. And uh, today we're you know, in the midst of this large language model explosion. And I think that that might be the next platform. And those platforms will actually give rise to new platforms that we don't even know about yet. Mm. So, you know, if you ask on a 10 year time frame, like, will there be more technology or less? I think there's going to be more. And, you know, if it's a one or two year time frame, like, you know, we got to ask Uncle Jerome. <laughs> when you look at venture capital culture and the way it operates, do you see things that are broken? I think the hardest part is often there's not alignment, right? You know, people view VC as a career. You know, if you're a junior VC, you're coming in, you might only be able to do one or two deals, three or four deals, period. And in those three or four deals, one better be a unicorn. Mm -hmm. And we see people bend over backwards, sort of put their own interests ahead of that of the founder. Uh, and sometimes that's systemic. But, mm -hmm. you know, I think that YC is actually about giving founders a community, giving founders a voice, and giving a way to sort of speak that type of truth to power mm -hmm. and, you know, sort of change the way it works. Mm -hmm. And that, that was true when I did YC, and that's what we believe will continue to happen into the future. Do you think venture capital needs a reset? Well, I think uh, we are still in this moment where VC is still growing and tech is still growing. Mm -hmm. And I think there will be reform. You know, there, there will be new and better ways to do it. Mm -hmm. And we're always on the lookout for how do we amplify that and help the people who are uh, helping the founders. There are now a lot of startup accelerators out there. Andreessen Horowitz, Sequoia, they've got early stage programs. There are startup accelerators around the world. Why choose YC? Well, I think that we are the one place that is extremely aligned uh, with the founder. And so, you know, when you look at how people pay attention to founders and, you know, what is it that makes them great? Like, I think for us, we're always going to put the founder like right front and center, you know? Mm -hmm. And the thing is, people say founder friendly. I don't think it's really even about that. It's mm -hmm. like if your friend was addicted to a horrible drug and you allow them to do it, is that being a friend? It's not. So I think we want to be founder truthful. We want to take care of people. We want the best for them, and we want the best for society as a whole. Do you see that happening out there, where firms are being founder unfriendly or founder untruthful? I think it's tricky, right? It's at the micro level of like, what are the incentives for you know individual operators working within sort of principal agent problem? Like, if you look at it that level, that might explain why people are encouraged to go and do like the mega rounds back to back, right? That's not great, right? And I think that that will change. AI is the new hot ticket. How bullish are you on AI? I think the wild thing is, I think we're just scratching the surface, mm -hmm. right? Um, the idea that you can give 20,000 words to a computer program and get back uh, a summary, and you can even interrogate it for opinions, like what would so-and-so say? What would this other stakeholder say? I think we're just getting our heads around what mm -hmm. that means, right? It's pretty astonishing. I, I did not have on my bingo card that <laughs> for 2023 that you'd be able to speak to a computer in the way that you can mm -hmm. now. I know, obviously, some of these companies came out of YC, but in many ways, people look at self-driving cars and crypto, the metaverse, as kind of the last three hype cycles, Absolutely. right? And they haven't delivered on the promise. Could AI be just the next bubble? It's entirely possible. It always happens that way. There are always hype cycles, but then there's sort of that moment where a founder sits down and creates it and shows it to people, 
and it's right. And uh, I want this place to be where that happens. And you know, I'm long-term bullish. Sam Altman, obviously longtime YC friend, was a YC founder, ran YC for a while, had your job. He's now the founder of OpenAI, Microsoft a huge backer of OpenAI. Between Microsoft and OpenAI and Google and Facebook and Apple and Amazon, is there enough room for startups to run when it comes to, to AI? Do they have room to really compete? I think so, and you know, some of it is like, we actually don't even know the physics of this market yet. You know, it took many years of the search engine world and the search engine war before we figured out that Google and AdWords were gonna be the winner. I think we're right there, right again, but you know, the outcome of it will be uh, move in you know, worldwide GDP on that order. So are you seeing new AI startups that can compete in the shadow of giants? Absolutely, you know, I, I would never, count out uh, you know, the, the little startup, little tech founder, the brilliant engineer who figures out a way to uh, fight against unbelievable amounts of capital or unbelievable amounts of market power. And I think that that's needed in society. Like We need to give consumers as much choice as possible, and that's how good things actually happen through tech. Like That's how we combat this idea that big tech is you know, too powerful. Like Guess who's gonna fight against them? It's startups. What's going to define the Gary Tan era of YC? Well, what I hope is that a thousand flowers bloom at the end of the day. For what YC has done for me and my life, I am deeply grateful. And, you know, I'm not just the CEO, I'm also a, a client. You know, I also experienced this crazy place that gave me prosperity. And ultimately, all I care about is that that story continues, that we have so much more prosperity in the world and that you know, people who are great designers and builders and product people and engineers, they get the chance to not just be like off in a cage someplace working for someone else, mm -hmm. but to experience what it's like to be a founder, to be able to make those decisions and then ultimately share in the bounties of it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Circuit. I'm Emily Chang. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Emily Chang TV. You can watch new episodes of The Circuit on Bloomberg Television or on demand by downloading the Bloomberg app to your smart TV. And check out our other Bloomberg podcasts on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartMedia app, or wherever you listen to shows. And let us know what you think by leaving us a review. I'm your host and executive producer. Our senior producer is Lauren Ellis. Our associate producer is Lizzie Phillip. Our editor is Sebastian Escobar. Thanks so much for listening. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.